listening to the Crop Disease Podcast, a podcast that will keep you up to date on how to manage common crop diseases faced by Australian growers. Reducing your risk of getting fungicide resistance is straightforward, right? I mean, you can rotate your crops, plant resistant varieties, manage your stubble and rotate your fungicides and you'll be right. But what do you do when you get a result back that says you've got fungicide resistance? What will you do next? Well, that's what we're going to explore in this episode. Hello, it's Megan Jones from the Centre for Crop and Disease Management, and I'm your host for the Crop Disease Podcast. Also co-hosting with me today is CCDM Director Mark Gibbard. Welcome back, Mark. How have you been? Oh, really good. Thank you, Megan. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you back. So in this episode, we're going to discuss the results from a project carried out last year that saw 173 farmers from the southern end of the WA wheat belt send in barley leaves for fungicide resistance research. Now, Mark, I know you've been part of this project and are well across its first year's results. Can you tell us what did our CCDM researchers find for these 173 farmers? Yeah, Megan, it'd be a pleasure. This project was set up really to try and get some very direct connection and linkage between the research activities undertaken within CCDM on fungicide resistance and a a broad population of farmers. Um, We're at the stage of our research where, as we know more and more about the causes of fungicide resistance and the number of cases and incidences of fungicide resistance that we've described are growing concerningly frequently. We need to be able to work directly with industry now to think about some of the tools and techniques and, I guess, the comparative value of different treatments and solutions to farmers so that we can give them advice based on solid empirical evidence to show, okay, if you've got fungicide resistance, what should you do? Uh, How should you approach that? And in particular, if you're going to change, for example, to a more expensive fungicide or a different fungicide program, what's the likely economic benefit to you as a farmer of doing that? Initially, we were focusing on high rainfall farmers, but we also got um, quite a few samples um, from right throughout the wheat belt. And can you give us a couple of top highlights from these results? So, Megan, when we look at the test, we recognise that about 15% of the samples uh, had the mutation for the CYP51 gene, and that was widespread right across all of the locations that we sampled in Western Australia, and it shows us that that particular mutation is now widespread within our wheat belt, and that's an important finding. In the third test, which is the phenotypic test that looks at fungal growth in response to different concentrations um, of uh, different fungicides, we were able to categorise the pathogens depending upon whether or not they were sensitive, reduced sensitive, or resistant. And of the pathogens that came from the 450 millimetre or above rainfall zone, only 21 of the samples that we looked at were categorised as being sensitive. A very large 161 of the samples had reduced sensitivity and 28 of the samples were fungicide resistance. So the dominant, the dominant situation is either reduced sensitivity or fungicide resistance when we use the phenotypic test. And this is a major concern for us. It shows that, in fact, the potential for uh, the loss of some DMIs and the reduced efficacy of DMIs um, is very widespread uh, right across the areas from which we receive the samples. So, Megan, 
one of the key elements of this study is actually going to be to work with growers to understand how they respond within their business when they receive this kind of information and what types of adjustments they can make. Yep. Absolutely. Let's move on to talking to those growers then, shall we? In this episode, I am going to interview one grower and also one agronomist. Um, first off, let's start with the grower. So his name is Dan Sanderson. Dan is a farmer from Grass Patch, just north of Esperance. Um, Dan sent in a few barley leaves in September last year, and it was interesting to hear how Dan has used the result to help him with disease management in 2020. So are you ready to listen to that then, Mark? Yes, I'm looking forward to that. Thank you, Megan. Yeah, great. Okay, let's listen. Hello, Dan speaking. Oh, hello, Dan. This is Megan Jones from the CCDM. How are you? Good, thanks, Megan. How's yourself? Yeah, I'm doing really well, thank you. Are you keeping busy at the moment? Yeah, we've got a fair bit on getting ready for uh, seeding. Yeah, I'm spraying some uh, peace bubble from last year for... Melons and self-sown peas and a bit of um, summer stuff like um, marshmallows and spring grass and all the, all the summer stuff that comes up. It's good to have the opportunity to do some summer spraying. We've had, the last two summers have been fairly dry. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So how long have you been a farmer in grass patch for? 30 years. 30 years, wow. Where did you grow up? First eight years I grew up in salmon gums yep. and then the family farm got sold and uh, moved to Perth where I... Went to just the normal school there, state school, and um, did an apprenticeship as a heavy-duty automotive mechanic and worked in the gold fields uh, mainly, and then came back farming in um, 89, 90. Yeah, wow, and have you always enjoyed farming? Yeah, I always wanted to be a farmer. When the family farm got sold, I was only eight years old, and I was pretty sure I wanted to be a farmer even way back then. So, Oh, wow. Um, yeah. We've got a farming business now with my son, or my wife and my son and his wife, and uh, yeah, we're pretty happy. I'm, I'm doing exactly what I wanted to do, so that's great. Oh, that's brilliant news, Dan. So what do you grow and produce out at Grass Patch? Uh, mainly wheat, followed by barley, and then we have our break crops, canola, field peas. We tried lentils, they weren't so successful. We're going to try some paper beans this year. Um, we get some really good results of the of the cereals following field peas, but we have a hard time trying to make money out of field peas, money for the frost. Oh, okay, yeah. So how was last season for you? The worst ever. Was ever it? Ever since I've been farming. Yep, uh, ever since I've been farming. Even when, before I started farming, when I was about 15 years old, I got my brother to put in a crop and it went about um, 800 kilos, and we thought that was terrible. Well, I think we averaged 700 kilos on our cereals last year. Wasn't great at all. <laughs> it was really dry and frost. Frost was worse than dry, actually, in the end. Oh yes, yeah, that's no good at all. So, um, yeah. did you have any disease issues then? A little bit. Uh, the wheat was all fairly good. Um, the barley, with the plant, we had some planet barley in, and uh, that had some spot type that blotch on it. And we had um, an application of Pizarro just before the frost hit, and uh, the Actual paddock average average 500 kilos or something in the end, but it was just because it was devastated with the frost and the dry. Um, so, yeah, we actually hung off another week before we put the uh, fungicide on. We never would have put it on. A lot of stem frost in the barley. Um, the barley was stem frosted worse than the wheat, and there was no follow-up rain, so that, a lot of the stems closed off. So yeah. uh, definitely wasn't definitely wasn't a very good barley year last year. No, that's no good. Uh, well, in this podcast, we are talking about barley 
And um, yep. in particular, the CCDM's um, Barley Disease Cohort Project, uh, which I know you and your son, John, were a member of and sent in samples. Um, yep. You would have received the results just recently on some barley leaf samples from the 2019 season. Can you tell us yep. what your results were? Yeah, there was on the plant sample, there was no detection of um, resistance found. Oh, that's great news. Um, that is good news, yeah. Yeah. And do you know um, what diseases you got on those samples? Was it spot form or net form? Yeah, we had spot form and net form net blotch on our barley. So was these results what you were expecting in your region? Uh, yeah, we could see that we had um, certain forms of net blotch on our, on our barley, so and we were hoping that we had no resistance. We don't have a lot of um, net blotch or, or leaf or fungal diseases on our crops up here. It's medium rainfall and we normally have a pretty dry growing season. We've got a lot of our crops go on summer rainfall. So our, our fungicide use isn't huge, but we don't go and use uh, like the expensive uh, fungal uh, fungicide seed treatments. So we just um, normally just rely on the triazoles to do the job for us. So, uh, yeah, it would have been an uh, application of propiconazole earlier on the piece and then we came back with the Pizarro formulation um, later on just before the frost. Ah, very good. Yeah. So does it surprise you to hear from the 330 samples that were sent to us, about 15% had the fungicide-resistant mutation with some of those discovered in the Esperance port zone? Does that surprise you? No. I was aware that uh, fungicide resistance is an issue and... Um, yeah, something we need to manage in the future and, and be aware of. Do you think growers in your region are a lot more aware of the problem now? I think over the last four or five years, um, most growers are fairly well, fairly well aware of the problem. So, Dan, what's your plan for 2020? How will you manage crop diseases this coming season? It's going to be a fairly low input year because we lost an awful lot of money last year. So we'll be waiting to... We won't be proactive on um, disease control. We'll be using cost-effective measures, but um, we've already had some um, summer rains, got some subsoil moisture, and if it's looking like a good season, we will um, just monitor the crops and, and control the fungal diseases in crop if we, we do get them. Yeah, sounds like a good plan. Are you doing anything different, or are you trying any new varieties? Uh, we're bulking up uh, Spartacus barley last year. Yep. Uh, because we have some brown grass problems on some of our lighter country. So we're putting a, a bit more Spartacus in this year. We normally grow Latrobe, and we have been growing, growing Planet, but um, it performed terribly last year because it was dry. So we have some seed left over, so we'll have some Planet barley in, but Planet probably too much. It's an opportunity crop up here, so we'll probably just go back to growing Spartacus and Latrobe and maybe a feed variety in the future. Yeah, sounds like a good plan. Okay, well, thanks so much, Dan. Let's wrap up the podcast interview here. Um, I'm really hoping this season is a lot different to last season. I bet you are too. Yeah, in our own. Yeah, I bet. Um, Yeah, and thanks for talking to me and hopefully we can check in later to see how you're going with it all. And maybe you can send in some more samples for the project again this year if if you're interested. Yeah, I'd love to. All right, thanks very much, Megan. Talk to you later on. Yeah, okay. Bye. See ya. So that was Dan Sanderson, grass patch farmer. It was great news that he didn't get a positive resistance result on his property, but I suppose it's important that he sends in another sample this year, isn't it, Mark, as it could be a different story this season, don't you think? 
Absolutely. Yes, we would like to receive samples from every one of our growers again. Um, it is important that we track this over time. Um, it's quite possible that in Dan's case that um, he doesn't have the resistance mutation uh, or reduced sensitivity on his property at this point. That could change. Um, we know that these things move around in the landscape perhaps more than we would initially anticipate. So follow-up sampling is very, very important um, and that data will certainly help us to look at the dynamics of the change um, across this particular area of the wheat belt. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like growers in the Esperance region are now well aware of fungicide resistance in net blotch and that it is something that they need to manage. Um, What do you hope this project will do for growers who are or will be at the battlefront of managing fungicide resistance? Well, yes, I hope it's going to do a lot, actually, (laughs) Megan. Um, But we've been somewhat disrupted by um, another pathogen, um, (laughs) COVID-19. Yes. And... This, this will potentially uh, reduce some of the fieldwork that we may be able, we had hoped to do with the cohort this particular yeah, year. For sure. But what's important right now um, is that as this information has gone back to farmers and their agronomists, we're quite interested to understand just what they do with this information and whether they do or don't use uh, the results that's been generated um, from the information to change their on-farm practices. And if they do change their practices, um, what what are the options that they consider? How are they implemented? And can we work with them to monitor the efficacy of some of those changes? Yeah, no, that sounds good to me, Mark. Um, yeah, it sounds like there's lots going on with this project, which is fantastic news. Um, next up, we are going to hear from Chris Robinson, who is an agronomist from Farmanco and based in Kojanup, which is about 250 kilometres south of Perth. Chris and I spoke about his clients in the area and how they went with their results from the project, which sounds like they are ready to make a few changes going into 2020. Are you ready to listen to that, Mark? Yes, that'd be great. Thanks, Megan. Okay, let's listen. Hello, Chris speaking. Oh, hi, Chris. This is Megan Jones from the CCDM. How are you? Yeah, going well, thank you. Oh, that's good to hear. Um, thank you for coming on the show today. Hope things are going well down in Kojanup. Yeah, very well, considering the circumstances, what we're in at the moment. Yeah, it's crazy times, isn't it? So have you been an agronomist in Kojanup for a while now? Yeah, been an agronomist in Kojanup for approaching 18 years now. Wow, it's a long time. And do you farm as well? Agronomy's not my own business, but uh, the family, the rest of the family farm around Kojanup as well. And can you tell us a bit about your clients in the Kojanup region? Like, what do they mainly grow? Uh, most of my clients are growing canola and barley, some wheat, but that's slightly diminishing due to the, the performance of barley and, and canola over the wheat. And then there's a smattering of lupins and pulses through most of their rotations. Okay. And what sort of diseases do they usually have to manage generally in a general year? Um, Sclerotinia in canola and blackleg uh, at the moment in canola. Barley, a common one at the moment is is the net blotches. Uh, Wheat has been particularly clean the last few years, but powdery mildew is the obvious one that sits up in wheat. But barley is the most common crop that gets diseases and uh, yeah, net blotches are our main one. And how did your clients go last year with the season? Did they do okay um, or did was disease a bit of an issue? 
In terms of the season performance, uh, we've had a very good season down here, probably one of the best ever in terms of yield and being backed up by very good prices. Uh, Disease-wise, it wasn't a huge year for disease because it was a bit of a dry year or a dry finish. Uh, But we did have smattering of disease through our barley crops. But on a whole, it was probably below average for infections and disease. So that would have been a good year then for your guys. Yeah, yeah, very good year. Oh, that's very good. So in this podcast, we are talking about the results from the Barley Disease Co-op Project. And I know you had a few uh, grower clients who took part in this and they sent in disease leaves for fungicide resistance research. Can you tell me a bit about the sort of results they got from that? The results we got uh, really weren't surprising. I thought we could have had more, but it's good now to see how broad the uh, or how much of the area we've got where the mutation gene is and that's giving us an understanding to make better management decisions for this year coming. Did you expect there'd be a lot more um, of the mutation discovered in your region then? Yeah, I did expect it purely because barley is becoming quite a strong part of the rotation and, and we are pushing the boundaries a bit on how often we're growing it year in, year out. And our consistent use of the cheaper type triazole chemicals I thought there would have been a bit more around as we haven't really extended into the use of the the other fungicide groups, chemical groups. Do you think growers are now more aware of the mutation that's around and um, that they might be changing the way that they do things this year? Um, Yeah, I hope they are. I'm more aware of it because of it because they've all had their results. But it just gives me backing of uh, when we do recommend a fungicide that controls the mutation, they are more prepared or are more understanding of why I'm recommending it because as we use these other fungicides, obviously the heck their costs or their gross margin diminished a bit. So it is a significant cost to change into a uh, SDHI type chemical. So making those decisions aren't taken lightly. And now we've got these results from the survey, we can back our decisions. Oh, that's good news. Um, so from the entire 330 samples we received for this project in 2019, uh, 15% of them tested positive for the fungicide-resistant mutation. Does this finding seem about right to you for the entire southern wheat belt? No, I wasn't surprised. And of the group that was tested in my client base, I had about 18%. So the confidence I get from it is that my client base are fairly representative of the rest of the southern wheat belt. So... It gives us a good understanding on how to manage how to manage our barley diseases coming this year. So, one last question for you: um, What do you think your clients will do differently this season now that they know a bit more about fungicide resistance in their 2019 barley crop? Well, during the planting season, we have planned to put a SDHI at the recommended timings to control this mutation and. Uh, clients are all very aware that we can use a SDHI-type fungicide, but whether we actually use it will depend on the particular time of applying that. And if the disease is really, the disease is really increasing, then we will introduce a SDHI chemical at the first no stage. But if the disease is non-existent and but we need to apply fungicide, then we can continue on and use the cheaper-type fungicides. And that's our strategy going forward from this point on. And as more information comes out of the researchers, it may change, but at this stage, it's what we're thinking. 
Yeah, that sounds really good to me. Well, I hope everything goes well. Thanks for coming on the show today. And, um, yeah, hopefully you get another good year, keep the run happening. And, um, yeah, hopefully I can talk to you soon as well, Chris, and check in. No worries. Thank you. And thank you very much for doing the project or survey. Yeah, no worries. We'll be continuing on this year, so hopefully we can hear from your clients again um, and see how they're going with this season's crop. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Chris. Talk to you later. Okay, bye. And that was Chris Robinson, Farmanco agronomist. Were you surprised that he thought there would be a lot more mutations detected, given the fact growers are pushing the boundaries a bit with tight rotations and a lack of fungicide alternation? Yes, Megan, I, I agree. And I think it's important for people to recognise the difference between the specificity of a genetic test and the broader application of a phenotypic test, which specifically looks at growth relative to uh, fungicide concentration. The story is becoming more and more complicated as time goes on. Um, and this particular group of um, samples that we've received through the barley disease cohort project has proven to be absolutely invaluable to dissecting further the genetic basis of what we're seeing as being reduced sensitivity and or fungicide resistance. So it's proven to be invaluable to provide that resource um, to the researchers to truly understand the dynamics and the complexity uh, and the size and scope of this particular problem. Yeah, that's right. It is a very complex problem, but it's great that we're getting to the bottom of it, I think. But it was nice to hear how this project has helped him with some backup evidence for giving a reason for recommending more expensive fungicides from other modes of action and how Group 7 SDHI fungicides are now part of the plan to keep these mutations at a low level, don't you think? Yeah, look, this is exactly what the project initially was set up to do, but (laughs) it's generated all these other extremely valuable outcomes along the way. But in the first instance, we have a lot of really good, solid science around uh, fungicide resistance and we have a lot of awareness in the industry and the most important questions to really answer now from an industry point of view is what are the infield solutions and what's the economic value of those solutions? So being able to provide test results that show that there is either a specific mutation or there's a reduced sensitivity uh, through the phenotypic test helps a farmer or an agronomist uh, to talk to his or her uh, colleagues and to actually say, all right, look, that's there. We know it's there. So the cost benefit of looking at a fungicide application becomes much clearer as that information becomes available. And if that fungicide is, for example, a Group 7, we know that they are significantly more expensive, but we also can start to now put some estimates around the benefit of doing that. And this is exactly where we want to work with farmers this year to start to examine those decisions in more detail and where those decisions have been made to go for an alternative um, control mechanism. Can we start putting some agribusiness, um, some economics, agribusiness analysis and economics around the benefit of doing so? So if growers received a fungicide-resistant result from this co-op project, um, how should they manage their barley crop going into 2020? So we want to advise people to do everything they possibly can to remove the pressure that would create a higher uh, resistance within the population of the pathogens that they have on their property. So the guidelines are, are quite straightforward. First of all, if you don't need to spray, don't spray. Don't exceed label rates uh, for fungicides that are being applied. 
and choose mixtures that have different modes of action wherever possible. Never ever apply the same group three fungicide twice in a row. Okay, that's a that's a really important rule. Incorporate the use of a seed dressing where you can, uh, particularly a group seven SDHI or an Enfuro application. And when it comes to foliar products, use fungicide mixtures from different different chemical groups. Avoid using tebiconazole and propiconazole uh, as standalone products in barley for any disease, as this will only really contribute further uh, to the resistance. Consider crop rotation and stubble management strategies um, wherever these are available, just to simply reduce the overall disease load. And where possible, pick the varieties that have the highest level of um, disease tolerance. Sounds good to me, Mark, and a good way to wrap up with those key messages. So thanks for that. And I just want to add too, if, if farmers are interested in this project for this year, they can email us at ccdm at curtain.edu.au because it'd be great to have them on board. Um, so yeah, let's let's wrap this up. And thank you so much for co-hosting with me today, Mark, and especially joining me for the 10th episode of the Crop Disease Podcast. No problems, Megan. And I believe there's a little something on the way that perhaps our podcast um, listeners may not be aware of. So today is Megan's last day at work and then she gets uh, a couple of weeks to no doubt take it easy and before the arrival of her, her second baby. So That's right. Uh, Megan, I really hope that everything goes well for you. I'm sure all our listeners do as well. Good yep. luck with that, and we look forward to um, hearing from you um, and hearing about this new baby in the not-too-distant future. Oh, thanks very much, Mark. Good on you, Megan. Okay. Great. So if you have a crop disease topic that you'd like us to cover, you, you can follow us and let us know on Twitter at the CCDM. You can also sign up to our blog and get more information just like this at ccdm.com.au. And if you like this podcast, why not tell your mate or colleague about it? Well, that's all for now. You'll hear from us next month for more crop disease discussions. See you then. This podcast is brought to you by the Centre for Crop and Disease Management, a national centre co-supported by Curtin University and the Grains Research and Development Corporation. 